0: Okay, today we turn to the book of Acts uh, chapter 10. You'll see that I have a lot of verses listed here, 9 through 28 and 34 through 35. This, I think, is the longest story in the whole book of Acts. And uh, we need to read that much for you to uh, have an understanding of what's really taking place. So I'll begin to read at verse And there came a voice to him, "'Rise, Peter, kill and eat.' But Peter said, "'By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean.' And the voice came to him again a second time, "'What God has made clean do not call common.' This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven." And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guest. The next day he rose and went away with them and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, "'Stand up, I too am a man.' And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered." And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable. To him. Now, if you've looked at the bulletin at all, you know that the title to this sermon is The Miracle of Change, and some of you may be thinking, What kind of title is that? I mean, this world changes so quickly, there's nothing miraculous about it, and you'd be right, that's true, but that's not the type of change to which I'm referring. I'm talking about the change in attitudes, the way that you and I think about things. Even back at the end of the 19th century, a philosopher of that day and time in 1892 by the name of William James was saying that old fogeyism, don't you just love that phrase, old fogeyism? We don't talk like that anymore. Old fogeyism begins at a younger age than we think. I believe that in the majority of human beings, it begins at 25. And I would guess that those of you who are younger hearing that statement probably find that hard to believe. But a a study by a Harvard professor adds weight to what William James said more than 125 years ago. For he says... That from the study he conducted, it's clear that certain attitudes tend to freeze between age fifteen and twenty-five. Just think, if you're fifteen, you could be an old fogey already and not even know it. Now notice the word that he used. Certain attitudes tend to freeze. That word freeze has a a solid and lasting sound about it, like it can't be moved or changed because it's frozen solid. Well, in our text this morning, we heard Peter's answer to God because during his trance, a voice came to him and said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything. That is common or unclean. Now I don't know about you. But that sounds pretty frozen to me. But in verse 17. Notice what's taking place. It says Peter was inwardly perplexed. As to what the vision might mean. You see God was already starting to work on him. Peter was already beginning to wonder. He was troubled. This vision had caught his attention. When were you last perplexed? about something sometimes we get that way about small and insignificant things but many times we become anxious as to what God's will is for us in the more important matters in life what should our vocation be should we really change jobs how does God want us to care for our parents now that they're physically unable to care for themselves What is God's will in any of these matters or more? Well, notice one thing. In this passage, we can see that God sent Peter the vision. God supplied the catalyst that perplexed Peter. We need to notice that because God does the same thing with you and me. He's in control of our surroundings. I've seen that same type of thing happen in my own life through the years, whether it's what some might call a chance encounter or a dream or a a scripture verse discovered at just the right time, people speaking on my behalf, a prayer immediately answered with a sign, these kinds of things go back as far in my life as to when I was struggling with whether I needed to quit my job and go to seminary or not. I was working in downtown Charlotte at the time in management training in the fall of 1979. And one day, the supervisor of my department came in and said, I want you to come to my office, and I followed him. You know, you always wonder about something like that. And he said, uh, I just want to tell you what a good job you're doing. You are making rapid progress and we're impressed with you. And three days later, that same supervisor called me into his office again and said, Are you happy here? I mean, is this really what you want to do with your life? And, of course, I had to come clean to him and tell him, well, I've kind of been thinking about whether or not I need to go to seminary, but I just hadn't been able to make up my mind. And he said, well, go home and think about it and tell me what you want to do in the morning. Now, there's one phrase in his statement that's one of the keys as to how we're determined what God's will is for us and our lives and the challenges that we face. And that phrase is think about it. That's what my supervisor told me to do. And that's what Peter tells you and me to do by his example here in verse 19. For there we can read, and while Peter was pondering the vision. That's the only time that particular Greek word is used in all of Scripture. And it's usually translated as pondering or thinking. And it has the idea behind it of, of revolving it around in one's mind, turning it up on every angle, looking at it from every side. Then after thinking about it in this way, we're better able to make the right decision, the decision that God wants us to make. But you see, we can make the right decision not only because we're relying on what we think, but we're relying upon and taking into account the influences placed upon us by God himself. God will guide us. During the time that we're perplexed and during the time that we're thinking about decisions that are before us. Especially as we're in prayer about them. Think back on how God led you to become a Christian. Remember the things that happened to you before your conversion over which you had no control. Or maybe you're one of those like me who can never remember a time when you were not in worship. Well, God had a hand in that as well. He blessed you by giving you such good influences as your family and the church in your life. He works in us so that we can carry out His will. And at the same time, He works outside of us so that His will might be accomplished as well. If you want another good scriptural example of this, think about the Ethiopian eunuch to whom we're introduced in the book of Acts chapter 8. You may remember he was riding along in his chariot. He'd been up to Jerusalem to worship. He was riding in his chariot reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah, but he couldn't understand what he was reading. And God told Philip to go up and walk beside that chariot. And Philip heard him reading. Back in ancient times, people read out loud. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading about? And he said, no, I don't. And he started asking Philip questions. And Philip had the opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with him right there uh, on that road in his chariot. And uh, it's kind of interesting that all of a sudden the text tells us he saw water and said, what's to keep me from being baptized now? The interesting thing about that is that the text had already told us it was a desert road. It was going from Jerusalem to Gaza. How do you expect to find water in the desert? And yet God had all of that planned out ahead of time. And the Ethiopian saw the water and got out and Philip baptized him right on the spot. Here we see another person led to make the right decision by the influence of God. That eunuch didn't ask for Philip, but God sent him to him. Well, Peter didn't ask for that vision, but God sent it, just as he sent those men after Peter through Cornelius. And when Peter was brought to Cornelius, the time had finally come for him to make some kind of decision. Just as we finally have to make decisions that affect our lives and the lives of others, so did Peter have to make that decision. Was it okay for him to visit with these Gentiles and preach the good news to them or not. What was God's will? Listen again to Peter's words in verse 28. He's speaking to all that group gathered in Cornelius' home. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. And that last phrase is the clincher, because you see, that's the miracle of change. Peter came without objection. His attitudes have come full circle now. He was way over here, wouldn't have anything to do with Gentiles, and now he's living with them and, and, and proclaiming the gospel to them. We have to see that this incident with Peter is a perfect example of how God can cause changes in our lives and how he works in us to accomplish his will. Because, you see, this wasn't some simple change for Peter. You know, it wasn't like changing from a Chevrolet to a Cadillac. Rather, it was a radical transformation from every rule and custom that he had been brought up to honor and respect. The Jews had a terrible prejudice against the Gentiles, far worse than any black-white prejudice we've ever experienced in this nation. That's one reason why this change is such a miracle. The other reason is that Peter had an open mind. He hadn't turned into an old fogey yet. His mind was open to whatever God might put before it. He put God's will first instead of what men thought or instead of tradition or instead of what was the logical thing to do. That's where we clash with God's will so many times in our lives because we may feel led to do a certain thing, maybe to the point that we're inwardly perplexed. But we shut down God before He really has a chance because we say, well, maybe God wants me to do this certain thing, uh, but that's not logical. I, I just can't do that. It doesn't make sense. Well, it didn't make sense to the people around Abraham that he should take up and leave his homeland and his country and go to some place that he claimed that God was telling him he would go. It didn't make sense to the people around him, but it was God's will for his life. Just like it didn't make sense to to the people around that young David that he should go out and fight this mighty warrior, Goliath. But it was God's will. And it didn't make sense to the disciples of Jesus that a man who had never committed a wrong act or one single sin should die on the cross. But it was God's will. And it didn't make sense to the Jews for Peter to go and preach to and visit with those uncircumcised Gentiles. But it was God's will. And Peter knew that it was because he had given God the chance to speak to him and had thought it out and taken into account the influences of God and then he followed God's will for his life instead of what seemed to be the logical and or the easy thing to do. I just wonder, do we give God a chance or are our minds like concrete Permanently set. Think about the Lord's Prayer. We pray that prayer every single Lord's Day. What do we say? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're actually asking for God's will to be carried out in part through us. Charles Allen has a little book called... God's Psychiatry, it's an older book. I have it in my library. And referring to the Lord's Prayer, he says that we can pray thy will be done with faith and confidence because God is a loving Father who knows His children better than they know themselves. And he also writes that the assurance that you're within the will of God does more to eliminate the fears and worries of life Than any other thing. And that's the truth. I learned that. When I was in Atlanta. An adorable church. We were trying to decide whether God was calling us to relocate or not. And, you know, there were people who wanted us to relocate and people who didn't want us to relocate. And I couldn't really decide what God's will was until I prayed one day and He gave me a sign just like that. And it was clear that we were to relocate. And as soon as I figured that out, it didn't matter how many people walked into my office telling me I was trying to split the church, I didn't have any fear. I knew that's what God wanted to happen. And that's what I worked toward. That's why Peter could make such a change in his life. Because he was sure that it was God's will. Now, he would have some problems later and mess up from time to time with whether he could stay with Gentiles or not, where Paul tells us about in Galatians. But he was sure that it was God's will, even though it required a complete reordering of his life. What's true for Peter is also true for you and me. God can make a change in our lives, but we have to have an open attitude. One that's willing to make a change. Like Peter, we need to trust completely in God and His leading by the Holy Spirit, by the circumstances around us through prayer and His Word so that when God sends for us, we'll go. Because we're persuaded that God knows what's best for us and how we can live for His kingdom's work. Maybe God's been asking you to make a change in your life. I don't know. Have you kept your life open? Your attitudes open to God? Or are you frozen? Stuck with an attitude? Stuck with a lifestyle? Stuck with a a vocation or decision that's maybe logical but not in, in agreement with God's will for your life? We have to remember another prayer of Jesus. When he said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That prayer speaks for itself. May God grant us the grace to not only pray with that attitude, but to live our lives with such an attitude of open commitment to him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.